You know, there's something about TrueCar a lot of people don't know. Using TrueCar can also help you buy a used car. In fact, there are over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles, that's used cars, available from TrueCar certified dealers nationwide. Whether you're looking to buy new or used, you can get upfront pricing information that empowers Discounts off the list price for used cars and a better buying experience through the True Car Certified Dealer Network. There are over 700,000 pre owned vehicles available from True Car Certified Dealers nationwide. You'll see what other people paid for the car you want so you can know what a fair price is and feel confident. With True Car, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. Using True Car, you can easily find the new or used car you want. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states, and I'm not going to tell you which states and which features. That's not my job. Now, Podcast One brings you Spike's Car Radio, a downloadable cars and coffee. Hosted by writer, comedian, and automotive enthusiast, Spike Ferriston. And recorded live from the porch of the famous Malibu Kitchen. Where Spike and his celebrity guests sip some java, talk life, and of course, talk cars. Now, here's Spike. Hello, here we are. Back on the porch of the Malibu Kitchen. This is Spike's Car Radio. I'm Spike Ferriston. In case you don't know me. Sometimes people don't know me, Paul. I'm going to tell everybody who I am. I'm Spike Ferris, and I, I was a writer on Seinfeld. I wrote on uh, Saturday Night Live for a little while, but mostly known for Seinfeld and Letterman. I've hosted late-night shows, and most recently I hosted Car Matchmaker on Esquire Network, and then Esquire went out of business. <laughs> but we have some good news on that front coming soon. I can't tell you now, but I promise I will tell you soon. In the meantime... We're out here in the porch of uh, at the Malibu Kitchen at the Malibu Country Mart every weekend doing podcasts, um, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. And, and I'm here with Paul Zuckerman, attorney at law and car collector extraordinaire, and a hammer. This guy is just a hammer. He's a fixer. You have a problem, he will take care of it. Especially problems with you in your personal life, right, Paul? If you're my friend, <laughs> if you're my friend, and you have a problem, it's really useful to know a lawyer like you. It's a very narrow skill set, but if the problem falls between these goalposts, <laughs> I'm going to be the best kicker you've ever you've ever needed. Well, we have a great podcast today. We're waiting for Jeremy Piven, who's the star of the new CBS drama Wisdom of the Crowd, coming Sundays this fall, 8, 7 Central. They always take care of the Central people. They always got to make sure the Central Time people are taken care of. And there's nobody there. And there's nobody there. Nobody's no. watching TV. Do you, but know Jer- do you know Jeremy Piven? I Well, I met him here on the porch. I met him here. Here, uh, he came up to us and he was asking about old 911s. He wanted to buy one. You remember that? You were with me, right? I don't think I was. Well, I guess it was Jerry and I, and he walked up and said hello and said, Can you guys find me an early 70s 911 Targa? And uh, I guess we'll get into that. But first, before he shows up, because he's going to be here any minute, this, this legal career of yours, is it ever useful? You, you collect cars. People don't know that about you. You have an amazing collection of Porsches, a couple of Mercedes, one Ferrari. When you uh, get involved with a dealer or a seller where things don't go right and you've been taken advantage of, do you, do you hammer them? <laughs> does, it, does it help to be you in that situation? 
it's it's kind of like cursing. If you curse all the time, the words lose their effect. <laughs> and so you must deploy your curses judiciously and sparingly. And it's the same way about deploying that you're a lawyer. A lot of times, if we're in the middle of doing a business deal, they're getting emails or correspondence that indicate that it's from my firm, right. who I am and what I do. So I don't need to repeat myself. Right. But are there, uh, you know, I know some of the dealers you deal with, and some of them, uh, I feel like it's evenly matched. Like, these are the best of the best at kind of ripping you off. <laughs> I, I can... and, or also, it's not even that. I don't mean to communicate it that way, but, you know, getting past maybe a little lie in, a, in an automotive transaction. It, okay, so it helps. Being from the lawyer world helps in this way. I am used to the fact that people have a very loose relationship with the truth. Right. I am used <laughs> to the fact that that most of the things people say, it's it's not really quite accurate, and people really don't know what is accurate. You know this perception. Exactly. But, well, Can you tell when someone's lying over the phone? Are you that good? Sometimes. And yes. what's the tell? What's the tell? Well, it's, it's, if you're talking about a salesman, if we're talking about car, I'm talking sales, about anybody. Well, that's a little bit hard. Car salesmen tend to engage in hyperbole, and I know what questions to ask. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you, when, and the more somebody speaks in grand terms in hyperbole and simile, mm-hmm. the more they're likely lying. If they start to get into specifics, specific facts, usually they know what they're talking about. So, if you get screwed on a car, what are your options? Let's say I know we have lemon laws, right? That generally. But speak, what about with the used stuff, the old stuff? Well, okay. I can speak a little bit about personal experience. In terms of personal experience, I have, in terms of personal experience, I have made mistakes. And I tend to view making mistakes as paying tuition in the school of car yes. buying. But tuition what in the do you do when you know you've been screwed? Sometimes, I'll give a specific <laughs> example. Yes. There, was a, there was a dealer on Long Island who sold me a car that he said was freshly restored. Okay. That it was perfect. And when it arrived, I could see three different colors of paint <laughs> coming through the surface. And it barely really? ran. Long Island? Long Island. That surprises me. It surprises me. <laughs> yes. But continue. And so I called him up and I said to him that... That that we were just going to pretend that this deal never happened. <laughs> that I was not going to yell and scream. I was not mm-hmm. going to make threats. That we were just going to have a do-over. <laughs> right. That I was going to send the car back to him and he was going to send my money okay. back to me. And that we would remain friends. And that kind of stated everything mm-hmm. that I needed to state, which was if he didn't do what I wanted, we weren't going to be friends. And, um, <laughs> and, and that I was, I was going to, I was going to handle it. And he did the right thing. I think very few times have I been, there was one time, yes, where I was spectacularly ripped off. Mm-hmm. And I think I know the car. Yes. This was a car that might've been welded two different cars together, right? Yes. The it front was. of a part of a car and the back up. Yes, it was the front of it was the front of it was a '67, and the back of it was a '68. Right. And the salesman said to you, "This isn't my problem." Yes, and you famously said back. Well, I famously said back to him, "It's your problem if I decide it's your problem." <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't think people who aren't lawyers know they can say things like that. 
because it was effective and you ended up getting your money back. And the guy, the salesman, I, I, I think if I remember correctly, didn't even work for the dealership anymore. Right. So I'm, I'm going to have to correct you uh, because your your version of the the story is, is much better, better than, <laughs> than, than really what happened. Right. And, and what happened is, is that the guy, the dealership that I had bought it from, was closed because, mm-hmm. unsurprisingly, uh, he was a bad guy and he went bankrupt. And the guy that I was going after didn't, and who calling to find out, he didn't have anything. It just so happened that the work on the car itself was good enough. I gave it to a reputable car dealer, and that guy told everybody what the car really was. And we sold it, and I got almost all of my money out of it. It went to wow. another dealer. Somebody who, somebody bought it and didn't care that it was two different cars it, welded together. It, it turned out that it was another dealer who didn't care that it was two cars welded together. <laughs> and then I saw it advertised again um, <clears throat> falsely. Wow. And I uh, sent an email to that new dealer saying, you know, this was my car, and, and I don't see that you're advertising it properly, and I wow. sure hope uh, that, that you do the right thing and tell people what this car really is. Right. Why, why are people welding two different cars together? Like, you know, it, it's interesting. When, where I grew up in West Bridgewater, Massachusetts, there was one exotic car dealership. It was called Tech Motors, and the FBI shut them down yeah. one day for <laughs> welding cars together. <laughs> why? What, what is that? Is that just, ju- you know, taking one car with a proper VIN that's not a salvage title, and w- <laughs> but it doesn't have a back half? <laughs> or is it hybrid cars? Do you have well, any clue what that yes, is? Yes. Why do people sell baby powder as cocaine? One <laughs> right. thing doesn't cost a lot, and the other thing has great value. I hear you. Wow. You uh, really get your ear to the bad stuff. Okay. I love it. That's why I love you, Zuckerman. You're really the underbelly of the car world. That's that's where you're at, and you're not afraid of it. You're not afraid of any of it. What, what just before? Because Jeremy Piven's going to be here any second. What can people do who aren't lawyers, who don't know anybody, who've been screwed on a car deal? What well, do you I, recommend? I think the first thing, the the first thing is is that you have to do your due diligence in advance. Right. You always have to find if. Find somebody, a third party, to do what's known as a PPI, a pre-purchase inspection. Somebody that knows what it is that you're buying. Yeah, we know know that, but when you get screwed, what do you do? Most times you're out of luck, and most times... Getting your money back is much of an uphill battle because the guy, the guy who's engaging in fraud, is usually fly by night. He doesn't have money. He doesn't have a bank account. He's doing it because he's going under. I don't think many people went into the used car, no, or the classic car business, saying, "Aha! I've got a great idea. I'm going to do it all the wrong way, and I'm going to commit fraud." So, in your, in the state of California, the laws are very favorable. To the consumer, you can hire you can hire a lawyer, and if and you they can do have that. money, you can beat the crap out of them. In so California. that's what you have to look for. You have to see if they have money, yes. and if they do, and if they do, you then, can take they, action. Right, but you, you need, need to hire a lawyer. But does, isn't the the cost of that lawyer going to just be expensive? There's it, no other options here in the state of California. Well, even outside the state of California, not everybody. California makes it very attractive to the lawyer who is pursuing it on your behalf because okay. attorney's fees are part of the compensation. I it's see. built into the law. If you were That's in a state good. I like you, that. If you were in a state that did not allow you to collect your attorney's fees, then you're screwed. <laughs> then you're paying out of pocket. I love it. And All right, well look, 
Jeremy Pivens here. I'm sorry to interrupt. He's over there looking at a dog right now. Is that is he? He's playing with Eli's dog. Our friend Eli Kogan brought his German Shepherd here, as uh, he is wont to do. That's a that's a dog he puts in a Porsche, which I do not approve of. I don't approve. And of it now at all. Uh, and I'm just now Pippen, Jeremy Piven has a dog as well. Dog. <laughs> is that a, his dog? That is a French. All right, let's wave him over here, Jeremy Piven, ladies and gentlemen. We're waiting for you. Sit down. You brought your dog. I did bring my dog. How yeah. are you, my friend? I'm doing great, man. Good nice to, to see, see you. you. This is Paul Zuckerman. Nice, nice to meet you, you Jeremy. My co-host. He's a lawyer. Anything Excellent. you say might incriminate you. Be careful. You need any legal advice, he'll take care of that, too. I, I hope not, but any you know, <laughs> anything is possible, man. It's always good to know another lawyer that's part of the team. Do you come here often? Do you come to the Malibu Kitchen? It's a great often? opening line, by the way. What's that? You come here often. It's just, <laughs> I mean, it's so it's just genius. It just I, thank I you. I, 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 I want you on eleven different levels after saying that because it's just so unique. And well, it's where we met. It is where we met. Who who is your dog here? What? Um, well, that was my dog Bubba. Oh, here it is. Um, He's, hi, Bubba. What kind of dog is this? It's a little brown bulldog. It, it is a blue. You're colorblind, which is an interesting start. <laughs> it's a blue French bulldog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. I mean, uh, um, I can tell you uh, where they were. Why they oh, were wait, bred. wait. Now he's taken I, off. Look, the dog. The yeah. dog has run away. You know what? Oh, he's over there. One, one, can you just throw this on him? We're going to put him on a leash. There, there you goes go. Will, our producer. He's going to go put him on a leash and. Hopefully he won't sell them for crack. Um, thank you for coming on the show. It's my, my pleasure, my It's honor. so nice to have you here so Good early on. Here. We've yeah. been talking about Wisdom of the Crowd. Okay. Coming Sundays on yes. CBS. That's right. And it's, uh, when, when, is, when is your start date? Uh, October 1st. And is this, is this uh, well, let's get into that later. I, there's okay. so much I need to talk to you about okay. that's car-related first. Okay. Because uh, First things first, yeah. First things first. Because I see you in Hollywood years ago driving, is it a Bronco? It was okay. that the first car that you had in Hollywood that you may still have right now? Uh, yeah, I've had that car forever. I love it. Um, I just love these old Ford Broncos because right. they're perfect for Malibu. Right. Because they're kind of sturdy and they're up high and it's a rag top and you get to see and feel everything. So that's why, I mean, you know that I'm in love with Targas as well. So yeah. I love Porsches and the whole history of them, but I also kind of want something that because i'm from chicago so it's you know we, we grew up having these kind of vicious seasons mm -hmm. so the idea of having beautiful weather like i just want to put the top down so and how long have you had the bronco i've had the bronco like 20 years wow long time and where did you time. get it where did you find it um i found it from a guy that i don't really want to say just because he was <laughs> kind of a charlatan <laughs> just incredible we were just talking about yeah this. just a really sketchy dude so what know? happened it was a bad transaction the car it, it wasn't you know, right you know it just you, you get the car and and um listen i'm a, here let's just let's start by you saying got, I, i'm a, a lawyer right here who can okay. help you he can well get he you can some help me because i'm a dummy because the reality <laughs> is like you know i don't know a lot about cars Well, this happens to all of us this actually happens to all of us but what happened? Well, no, it's just, you know, you overpay for a car, and the engine's not great, and you learn your lessons, and that's how it goes. There you know, go. It we just, Tuition we just, in the school of life, as I said. Tuition in the school of life, exactly. Yes, yeah, But absolutely. now, though, I mean, if this is 20 years ago, you're doing yeah. all right, right? Uh, you know, I'm still, I still have a Bronco, and I'm still looking for cars, so I haven't really evolved in that particular <laughs> arena. You know me. I'm, I, I do, I and, I, and I also know, and, you know, James Spader was the first guy to point this out to me. He said... It's really important for him 
that this transaction, this this buy, this this the car that you're going to buy and the seller, that it all feels good because you carry that into the driving experience in the future. Yeah. Do you feel, do you feel that's true at this point? Are you over you it know, yet? Or are you holding you know grudges? What? I think years? you and Jerry are spiritually tied to cars, <laughs> and I respect it and I love it, but I don't quite get it yet. But I want to get it. This was Spader. I this be, was James Spader. Well, and Spader, and you, and and the, your whole crew. Right. I, right. I don't have the connection to cars that you do. Oh, but you I, have it. I but can I tell want right now. it. You've got I a Bronco. It. You kept for twenty years. Right. You came up to us on the porch here, and yeah. you said, "I want now. I want to get into a nine eleven Targa." Correct. Right. So I want to be a part of it. I just haven't <laughs> had that connection that you've had. I'm just being honest with you. Well, there's, that's it. That's all we're doing. We're just looking at cars and buying cars and then driving but, them. And but no, but I mean, you guys have you guys are in love with the stories of these cars, and you have a connection to it, and and that's real. And I think whoever had my car before. Um, Drove a van very slowly, you know, <laughs> past schools and, you know, did, did bad things. And you, it, it, 20 years later, it's not sorted. I, we'll help no, you man, with that. Bro, We're going to help listen, you with that. It, you know, it's up to us. We can't be, you know, we got to just take care of ourselves. This is going to get very deep here. But, you know, we can, you can have, take on some weird bad karma and, and work through it yourself. Right. You know. What was your first car? Were you, did you were you a you kid know, like did you like kids you grew up you know, in Chicago right I grew, I grew up just outside of Chicago on the on the north side okay. of um, a place called Evanston and like the end of my street was technically Chicago Howard Street and whatnot so I'm a Cubs fan North Sider and you know um, I grew up incredibly wealthy no <laughs> not not at all no no I um I was uh, a, a part of a theater family and we. You know, we lived like in an old folks' home because you know my <laughs> my parents. You know, they're they're theater animals, and right. they have a a school, the Piven Theater, which is still thriving to this day. And um, you know, I didn't know any better, so I thought you know there were a lot of people around me that, that were octogenarians, and everyone had a neck brace. And as a child, I thought this is what every, everyone. Oh, perfect! <laughs> oh, I think oh, it's going really go. well. All right, there you uh, go. That happens. That's that's part of doing business here in a parking lot. Absolutely. But but what, why why an old age home? What's the because, connection to theater there? Well, the, the connection is you don't get paid if you do theater, and we had no money. Right. And so the so, cheapest place to live was this old old folks home, and that's how I grew up, and it was wow. great. And it, I wouldn't change oh, it for anything because I grew up in the theater with 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 a family that loved to create. And after school, you know, I loved to play football. And when I wasn't playing football, I was on stage from the time mm-hmm. I was eight years old doing improv and scene study and, wow. and and we had i was exposed to really great literature you know um from a very i was butchering Chekhov early mm-hmm. very early and kurt vonnegut and all this great stuff and i i know that you and jerry hate talking shop about this stuff i love kurt vonnegut it's very it's very awkward jerry's want, not here you want to talk more about he's engines. gone he's We're taken gonna... off <laughs> no i work in entertainment like you and i like cars. Yeah. i don't know what this podcast is it seems to be a blend of entertainment and cars okay. and just whatever and i love it that's what podcasting is i hear yeah. But but I love what you're saying. Keep t- so from there. Yeah. When, at what point do you leave the old age home, <laughs> which you're headed well, you back know, to? By you know what? I think at a certain point, you know, I remember having a bar mitzvah and and not having any money, but not 
not even knowing that other kids had money. Like I right, was, right. I was the DJ for my own bar mitzvah. It was, <laughs> no, no, literally, it was, it was in a basement. That's you know, great. I, I got a hand job. It was, it was like, it was, it was, it was huge, man. It was just like, it was unbelievable. My, my life was. It, did I you? Was, wait, I, I did think you give I had, yourself the hand job too? Was I, I did. <laughs> it DJ was. It, hand, yeah, it was, I'm going to do this for myself. Listen, I, I it was self-styled, but it was still a win, and um, I think I peaked. I peaked at 13. What can I say? Fantastic. And then, so, do, where, where is the first car on this timeline? You know, the first car wasn't until I was 21 years old. Even though I started working at about 18. I, my, Doing what? My first movie, actually, was playing a character called Spike in a movie called Lucas with Charlie Sheen and a bunch of people. And uh, uh, David Seltzer, who, who mm-hmm. is you know very prolific writer-director, uh, wrote Damien Omen and all that kind of stuff. Wow, and and I there I was, 18 years old. Um, doing a movie, and that was my f- my first like really kind of paid gig, and it was unbelievable. And Charlie Sheen was one of these guys who was from Malibu, uh-huh. and you know, and and I thought, oh my God, what what is that like there? That's that's some incredible place where Martin Sheen lives, and um, how is that even possible that anyone lives there? And here we are in Malibu all these years later. But I have to say, and I'm not like outing Charlie because he's already you know quite an eccentric yeah. character but i, <laughs> I think but I, charlie outside charlie yes he does he does well. a nice job but <laughs> i will say that you know he's always been very he's been he's been that guy since he was 18 years old right so he was charlie sheen when when we were 18 years old you know we were at dodger stadium last night and um cameras go on will ferrell he's behind yes. home plate crowd yeah. cheers yeah. camera went on jerry seinfeld we were yeah. with jerry lesson crowd cheers yeah and then at the end of the ninth inning charlie yeah. sheen walks in yeah, and they went crazy for him. Yes, people well, went absolutely crazy for him. Well, Major League, which I was actually in as is well. Is that is that what it is? That's the variable. Yeah. Well, I don't know what it is. I don't know anything no, about pop like culture. No, it seemed like they were relating to I him. That they say, pop. you know, you're like us. You're broken uh, like us. I don't know, but people were well in thrilled that, to see in him in the ballpark. He's he's he he's a huge baseball fan. He was right, in, right. But I remember, dude. He he's also coming to the. He game has a very sp- particular Malibu accent, <laughs> and at 18 years old, he goes, "Dude, I swear to God, there I am thinking I'm getting paid to act. It was the greatest moment of my life." And he said to me, "I'll never forget." And there he was. I was like, "This guy is like a movie star. Is Martin Sheen's son? This is like another world. I get to put on football pads again." I thought I was done. Right. I was a Jewish linebacker in high school, never <laughs> to play again. I'm, I'm I'm in football pads and living the dream. And he goes, "Dude, the only way I'm getting through this movie is with a twelve pack and a fucking big fat joint, dude." And the and the and the director <laughs> comes over, right, and the we just, like him. and the director comes over and goes, uh, "We'll get right on that for you, Charlie." And he goes, <laughs> and he goes "Dude, I forgot I had my mic on, dude." <laughs> <laughs> the worst. So that was like my introduction to 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 movie And you're making. 21 at that I'm age. Eight, 18 years old. 18 years. That's so, irresistible when that happens, right? Do you feel like now I have found my place in life, that this is where well, I, I need you know, to be? I wasn't, you're you know, working I, I was, you're partying. I was a kid from, you know, from the Midwest. I wasn't, you know, I know, I wasn't but that's a, irresistible. Well, I would have died if that what, happened to me. What was irresistible was like the idea, because I did, I really did love acting. And um, so we got to improvise in that movie. So the idea that that could be your life, mm-hmm. like I'd always been a part of the theater, but you don't get paid in the theater. And I right. thought, you know, the, the brass ring will be, be on the Goodman Theater and, you know, kind of stay locally. But then, then I was like, wait a minute, I can, I can be in front of the camera. So that Your parents of, are thrilled, right? Or weren't they not? No, because they, you weren't on Broadway. No, they were thrilled. They were they were thrilled. Um, and I got to pay for college, and then went to NYU and kept going. And wow. you know, and here we are. 
and Those here are cliff we notes. are. And it ends here on the porch, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> looking for 9/11 targets, which That's is a right. great place for it to be. Absolutely. So, at what point does Entourage come along? Because I think well, if I and, and, I, and I asked Jerry this question, I'll ask you the same thing. What's the th thing everybody says to you when they see you? Is that the show they talk about? Well, absolutely. Um, in this country, and when I go to London, it's Mr. Selfridge. Oh, yeah. Mr. Selfridge for the past Which four years. Which is wonderful itself. Thank you. Um, and then uh, Mr. Selfridge was, was, did really well overseas, and then over here was picked up by PBS. And PBS, their entire budget for advertising is $11, and I didn't know that. <laughs> and then once, once the show went up, and I was like, you know, very excited, and there were no ads, and I went to them and said, "Can we take out any ads?" and and they laughed for about sixteen minutes, yeah. and then that was the end of that conversation. So it was really they didn't need to do that. Downton Abbey was huge at that moment, and then your promo would run right after that, and we all said, "We're watching Mr. Selfridge now." Well, that's kind of you, but what I didn't—what <laughs> I were, didn't have you, to look at a TV guide to know well, about Downton right, Abbey were, or Mr. You Selfridge. You were one of—you were one of the few people that, that got and a I chance but, to watch and that. I liked you because I always liked you because of the Bronco. And yeah. Entourage, oh, okay. those two things. Wait, so, tell me how Entourage comes about, first of all. Where, where does that, do they, did they come to you and go, we want you to play this guy? Not at or all. they come to you and just not say, we have an agent character? I'm, I'm, in, I'm in my mid-30s. Um, I'm probably 40 movies into my career. Um, I'm now got a lot of opportunities. I mean, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing films, but I have a, a lot of opportunities in television to kind of star and actually produce TV shows, this show comes along, and I know a couple of my friends were up to write it, and they didn't get the gig, and I just, I knew Mark Wahlberg, mm -hmm. and I knew this was about his life, and I, I knew that he was an incredibly, like, charismatic guy, Wahlberg is, and he's, you know, he's, I, I they wanted to do something that was kind of an homage to the mm -hmm. backstage journey of his life, and so I knew that, uh, that people would want to see that. And HBO was the best home at the time, I felt, because of the the quality of shows. You right. had Sopranos, right. Sex and the City, and all that stuff. So uh, I went in. Uh, they basically said, you. they want you to audition for the, the fifth lead. Um, it, there's one scene. It's a pilot. You have one quick scene. It's the agent. <laughs> and it's a, it's a quote-unquote fringe player. Right. And they want you fringe to audition. And I, and I remember at the time going, well, wait a minute. You know, I've I've done all these movies and I've done the lead in a bunch right, of TV right. shows and stuff. Maybe I could meet on this role because this isn't a lead; right. it's a tiny role. But I love the idea of yeah. This. Why? In other words, why aren't they just giving it to me? Well, that's you know that's all part of it, and, and you've earned uh, the right to just. They know who you are. They they've seen what you've done. Right. Um, and so, but they, they want to hear your words. They, they, they want to hear you. They do want to hear it, and that was like a turning point moment for me. And you have trouble I, doing that. No, I, I, I love auditioning. Um, I love being humiliated and, and <laughs> bending down on one knee and asking someone to marry me and having them reject me over and over again. But I'll tell you, um, somebody who's but, a showrunner, I love to hear you say the lines. You love to just, hear your words. You're in love with your words. <laughs> no, I get it. it's not about the words. I love the guy. And I'll tell you why. Because every time someone like you comes in the room, I realize, oh, there's someone who, who there's the part. There's the guy I was thinking of. It's never the words. You're being very kind, guy. and that's... You but know, that happens to me over and over again. Well, listen, if if that's the reality that you have to audition, you do it. But if there's a possibility mm -hmm. to go in there and sit down and talk to them about the piece and the role and your ideas for how you would play it, you know, that's something that you, an actor, dreams about. That's something so civilized because we've auditioned our whole lives. Right. I have a rejection for 16 lifetimes <laughs> easily. You know what I mean? And it's well, been, we it's, all do. It's yeah. a brutal, brutal business. Yeah, and it's all part of it. But if someone knows your work and they're familiar with it and you, and they, you want to talk 
about what what the role could be and mm -hmm. what the journey of all that is. So ultimately, I said to my agent, this is an important moment if we kind of put our foot down and say, listen, let's go in and, and talk about this, because it was a tiny role. And um, so they finally said, yeah, okay, and I went in and talked to him, and I, I knew Ari Emanuel, who the role was based on, and so I went in. He's, he's, a, he's an agent. He's, he's an agent. Was he, at William, he runs William Morris, right? Um, he, he, was at a, he had his own place called Endeavor. Endeavor, and right. And then he bought William okay. Morris, and it was William Morris Endeavor, and then he just bought the UFC, and so you're, soon you he'll be him? president. And there you go. Mm. And, and, yes. and did, did they already have that idea for that character, or you walked in with that idea and said, no, I, I want mean, to play Ari Emanuel? No, I mean the character's called Ari. Mark Wahlberg's <laughs> agent is Ari Emanuel. <laughs> right. I mean you don't have to be a detective to break this shit down. It's pretty. It's so pretty, what did you do? Did you do an impression of him? I mean, how did I, I went in in a power suit? I knew Ari had, had had been my agent. I knew his. He's a you know, uh, a second generation Israeli. So <laughs> he's he's a, he's exactly what I played. He's a, a very like high, strong, ambitious, intelligent. Um, reactive mm -hmm. guy um, who lives in these beautiful dualities where you think he's a pig but he's monogamous and all these beautiful things that I knew that if they gave me a shot that there's something beautiful about this character that could really take off and I knew that the pedigree of shows at HBO would support it so it sounds like I'm Monday morning quarterbacking and I I'm just being honest with you that I knew there was something there right so I took the role for you know basically a 10% of my quote and um you know, they just basically, they have really nothing for me because, you know, it's an ensemble show and here it's a small role. And I just knew that if I could kind of get in there and, and mix it up, that something would come of it. Wow. And then it becomes your show, really. It really, the whole series becomes about Ari, our well, favorite character. Well, that's very sweet of you. <laughs> I know you can't say that, but I'm going to say I, that. I, well, you know, it's... <laughs> and you, you people, so that they think you're Ari now when they're walking around? Do they, do they call you an asshole? Well, and they go, oh, you're such an ass. They do this to Larry David because of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Well, I love you, man. You're such an asshole. Well, but there's a, there's a difference. And, and I think and what's, what's interesting about this is, you know, Larry David is... And, and I, he'll have to obviously speak for himself. First of all, he's a genius. Um... And I was lucky enough to work with him for, for a bit on Entourage. But, and Seinfeld. And, and right. Seinfeld, absolutely. Right. Which one of my favorite moments of all time was, was being directed by Larry how to play it and have Jason telling me how to play it as well. And then I was trying to play it. So you had three versions <laughs> of the same character. Of the same character. You know, theirs being much better than mine. So right. it was amazing. I was just doing a version of theirs. You were emanating the TV from, George, right? I was a TV George emanating from the source of the actual. The TV TV George. Right. Oh, my God. All very, right. Very well, surreal. we're going to have more from Jeremy Piven right after this, everybody. Don't go away. Adam Carolla's motivational podcast, Take a Knee, is a part of Podcast One Premium. But you can hear a very special episode with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar now for free at podcastone.com. How much do you think that discipline has affected your life and helped you in, in further endeavors after it, It's sports? helped me a lot because, you know, when you get to a point when you can look back, all the times that I failed had to do with my own laziness and, and arrogance. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, when you you get humble and uh, understand that you got to work for it and earn it, uh, you get things done. To subscribe and get a new episode of Take a Knee each week, go to podcastone.com/premium. You're listening to Spike's Car Radio. All right, here we are. We're back with Jeremy Piven and his dog. 
and at the real Zuckerman. Are you even on social media? You're on Twitter, right? I follow you uh, on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, and um, Instagram, Jeremy we're, Piven official. We were just uh, we were just talking about baseball during the break. Yes, and uh, I remember seeing your first pitch. Yeah, it was impressive. Were you, was well, it, you, you did it for the Cubs, you. right? I did it with the Cubs. The, the only reason it was impressive is because your expectations were so low, let's be honest. But, <laughs> but the, the no, reality- it's hard. You're far away on the mound. I did right. one last year for the Angels, and it's a little okay. scary, and yes. you're a very famous person, and you don't want to bubba buoy it. As right. we all know. Well, did let me you, ask did you, you, did you: Did you practice? No, they. Okay, I, that's the part. I you did got, not. You got to practice. But I did okay. I played baseball. I was fine. I was. There confident. you go. So you right. have a reference for yeah. it. Yeah, but your pitch was frankly, it was much better than mine. It well, was faster. It was the uh, only a reason, strike. The only reason that that happened was because um, growing up, I. I was a dummy and played football. So instead of playing something for my size, which right. should have been baseball or even soccer, I, I played football. I went to a school with about 5,000 kids. I was the only white boy that played on my football team. And I think that's part of my you know, makeup of right. who you are and all that kind of stuff because you know, it, was, there was a, it, was, it was really difficult. I mean, I started off um, in junior high school grinding, and I was a fullback and loved it. By the time I got to high school, they were like, you're a white boy, and there's no way you're in this backfield. And I desperately <clears throat> wanted to be in the backfield, and they said it's not happening. So that was part of my first rejection. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to get to your new show in a second, but I yes. have more questions. I noticed um, in your bio your brother-in-law is Adam McKay. Yes. What is that like? Because Adam McKay, the super successful director Adam McKay, that yeah. same guy, yes, is absolutely. married to your sister. My sister, Shira. Do you feel any sort of competition with him, or is it? Is different because he's not an actor, he's a director. Or? You know, it's so funny. First of all, it's a great question. I like that you're just starting your podcast. It's like, <laughs> a really, really great question. Because let's get to the bottom of this, because this is important stuff. It is if, important. If, they, if people remember one thing, remember this. Another person's, and this is gold, man. If you own this, you will fly. Another man's success will never, ever, ever, ever take away from your own. Ever. Ever. There you and, go. And by the way, he is the sweetest, funniest, most kind of humble, self-deprecating he's guy. He's amazing. He's incredible. You know, he's a guy who went from, you know, the head writer on SNL doing his thing. He mm-hmm. and Will partnered up and did Funny or Die. And, right. And he wrote and directed Talladega Nights, Step Brothers, the other guys, all that stuff. And then transitioned into a little drama called The Big Short and won this tiny award called the Oscar on his first <laughs> try. So, you know, but... You know he's not a he's not a guy. How long did it take you to get to that realization, though? Were you ever? You don't seem like a person that would be, ever be jealous of anyone well, else's that, career. That's very sweet of you, and I, that's a huge compliment. But you were know, you? And who I, is it? You know, I was. Uh, I was. Be- <laughs> I, who am I jealous of? Well, listen, I'm not jealous of, but I love. I think a certain amount of ne- je- jealousy is normal when you see somebody doing well. It's just a little ping sometimes. I get I, in my stomach like ah. There are guys like Robert Downey who have, in, who first of all, I just did a, a movie with Jamie Foxx called All Star Weekend where we play a couple of guys who, I, I'm obsessed with Steph Curry, he's obsessed mm-hmm. with LeBron James, and Robert Downey comes in and plays this brilliant cameo, and he's so ridiculously creative. It's it's incredible. Yeah. And there's a reason why he's doing what he's doing. But I'm not going to lie to you. How fun would that be to play Iron Man? Yeah. And he plays him with an edge, <laughs> and Favreau lets him improvise, and he's living Have you dream. ever been offered movies like that? I would imagine you've been off- offered all sorts of movies like that. You know what? You know, what is your barometer of what you're looking to do and not do? You know? Well, I would, I would love to, I mean, even going toe-to-toe with him for, for the bit that we did in that movie, too, 
to do one of those big fun action movies with him or someone like that and, and work with those guys and mix it up would be incredible. I'm about to start, as you mentioned earlier, uh, I'm doing, a, I'm starring and producing a TV show for CBS called Wisdom of the Crowd. So you're also producing that? I am producing it, yeah. And, and so uh, did you go in? Were you there for the initial pitch? Were you attached to it then the, at that it's point? It's interesting. The, the initial pitch was an Israeli pitch. Um, Cachette, who also did um, Homeland, mm-hmm. the, the pitch was, here's a guy who I'm playing who is a, a tech billionaire whose daughter is murdered, and he's obsessed with finding the killer because he feels like they got the wrong guy. So he sells his, his entire fortune for pennies on the dollar and decides to create a real-time crowdsourced crime-solving site to figure this out. And it's a great idea, and so the idea was bought by CBS, and that's when they came to me, and um, it's just the guy's a real human being. He's completely heartbroken. He's not dealing with his grief properly, and I think that's a a brilliant premise Mm -hmm. because now we can go anywhere with it right? because I want to figure out who did this, and the lengths that I will go to are, I think, are going to be kind of interesting. And mm-hmm. you, you know, as a writer, it's it's very f- a fertile premise. Well, I love I love what's going on on Twitter right now with Donald Trump and the whole Russian thing, and there are all sorts of people open sourcing and crowdsourcing yes. information. But well, do you do you think that uh, a real time crowdsourced crime solving site? Could is realistic in today's day and age? Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And it, by the way, it's already happening. I can tell you okay. right now because I started a production company uh, a year ago and I pitched an idea like this to my partner, not a scripted one. I'm right. not going to get. In, there's no lawsuit. I coming. wish you weren't such a big shot that you come right <laughs> on my show. But but I know you have to be executive. I would love creator. to, but I don't. I don't know how to write drama. But but I was showing my partner. I'm like, look at all the crimes that are getting solved by people just getting involved on the internet. And, yeah. and open sourcing information and just looking behind doors. And it's astounding. It's really amazing. I think it's a great premise for a show. Well, are you now, though, but here's what I'm fascinated by. Are you going to uh, all the producer meetings? Are you sitting down with the network for that big note session? Or are you, do you stay out of that? Or do you like that stuff? Because it makes me crazy. It does. It, you know, I think with me it's interesting because... Um, when you when you have an actor, because I, I wasn't you asked the right question. I wasn't involved from the very beginning. Right. So because and I was I wasn't involved <laughs> in the very first pitch. Right. I, I'm not like legally and technically um, allowed to kind of be at all these meetings. And and the reality is, as you know, is the network is talking about me in those right. meetings. Right. No, as well. I know. And so they, they're not and they get look, nervous about they're not that. Not to look me in the face and say. Uh, I wish Piven was better. Lo- <laughs> I wish he was better looking and more sincere in his performance and had more dimension. You know. No, uh, have you noticed? Because I'm on camera too, and frequently when I am, I'm also the executive producer. Right. Uh, they try to marginalize me for that very same reason. They try to push me aside a little yeah. bit so they can be no, very honest it, and say, "Spike, you got a beer gut," or "Hey, you're not so good." in this scene and, and, and are you feeling that on this show are you okay with it or listen I'll be t- I'll be totally honest with you and you're not going to believe me on this one but I love getting feedback or even a take on from anyone That's because smart. I grew up in a, a theater family where everyone was contributing and collaborating so I love listen you can get a note from anyone that makes sense so I'm not I don't I, I really like that because it's really all mm-hmm. about trying to figure out how to get better and um, so, where are we? You have the pilot shot. And they, you just had it at the upfronts. How many episodes are they writing right now? What are you guys the, doing? Yes, it, they they really got ahead of the curve. They they got their group and Ted Humphreys, who did The Good Wife, is oh, yeah, I know is him. doing it. And Adam Davidson directed. Mm-hmm. The, and they all did a brilliant job. And Adam is now 
uh, one of our producers, so he's sticking around with us. And they gave us the time slot Sunday nights after 60 minutes, so it can't be awful. Fantastic. You know what I mean? That's it's perfect. Kind of, yeah. And where are you shooting it? We're shooting it at CBS Radford. Oh, you are? Yeah, your old wow. dick. Old and your old Larry Sanders place, yes, too. absolutely. Did we know each other back then? Because we, we, we were right it. next door. We, we, I didn't. I loved you on that show, and I loved oh, that show. That's, yeah, thank you. That's, we All of the Seinfeld writers loved Larry Sanders, yeah. and we were getting love back from you guys. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, Nobody liked their own show. Well, <laughs> I think what was happening was, obviously, you guys were... The Beatles and like, <laughs> you know, and we were this. You kind were the Rolling Stones. No, you were cooler than we were. No, I think that because listen, we that show, the Larry Sanders show, was the show that kind of was the first to kick off original programming, right, programming right. on HBO. So it wasn't. It was kind of like a, a well kept secret mm-hmm. at the time. Uh-huh. So you know, it was for those who knew, and it was nice to. I didn't know that you guys until later had the love, and I ran. Well, it. I came from Letterman. I was a Letterman writer. So Paul Sims, who went out to write for you guys, exactly. he would talk about the weird intern in your show, and I knew the weird intern. Exactly. I would call Paul and go, "Is that our weird intern?" He'd go, "Yeah, yeah that's our weird intern." Exactly. So I mean, you know, th- we were, or at least I heard, he would go back there oh. and he'd soak up some of the stories of the staff, and that was very fresh in my head and fun to hear you guys doing them. Well, yeah, we had, I mean, think about it, Sims and Judd Apatow and, yeah. and, and Gary Shandling. And, and you, were, you and, were, your character was a writer on the show, You too. know, yeah, I was, I was just a kid who was there, and I was, played the head writer, and I just kind of decided that I would play him as a guy who wasn't funny, uh-huh. but was the head writer. And knew he wasn't funny, and the kind of tragedy of like, oh my God, what if they realize that I'm a complete and utter charlatan? Um, but it, no, so that was a that was a blast. And then I run into your casting director, Mark Hirschfeld. Mark Hirschfeld, right? And he said, you know, I'm interesting moment. Yeah, that was Robert Morton who just walked by and Pretending. did a blowjob. That was interesting move moment. of some kind. Yeah. But he doesn't un- know that we're talking about Letterman. And he was the producer of Letterman. Amazing. He was what? What a strange coincidence. That See, that's a little bit of the magic of the porch here. I love it. And in the middle of the story, there's the producer of David Beautiful. Letterman walking making by, a, a lewd making a lewd. I wish <laughs> that was visual. He just assaulted us visually. <laughs> he, we could, we could Zuckerman. You could handle that case, could you? <laughs> So let's that, get some money out of that. So because I don't have a lot of time, I'm going to get back to talking about myself. Yeah, let's quickly, quickly <laughs> go there, and then I want to talk about the target, and then we have to go. So Okay. So basically for me, that was like my graduate school. There I was in scenes with Jeffrey Tambor and, and the great Rip Torn and, and obviously the brilliant Gary Shandling. And I was kind of like a, the sixth man off the bench. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't have a lot to do, but I got to be around these brilliant people and I just took it all in and, and just was just lucky to be there. Yeah, wow, that is a and great And then audition for you guys, and I remember Mark said to me, you know, um, would you like to come in and audition for Seinfeld? And to be totally honest with you, and, and I'm going to be, this is blasphemous what I'm about to say, but I lived in a pool house while I was filming Larry Sanders, and <laughs> I remember Sims came over to my house, and he's like, you're a regular on a TV show. Why are you in the pool house? I was like, I don't know. It's, I like it. And he's like, no, no, no you got to get like a proper home somewhere. But I didn't have a TV, so I'd never seen your show. I'd never seen Seinfeld. And, and so I, they were like, would you want to play, <laughs> would you like to audition to play George Costanza? And I didn't know what she was talking about. And, and I was like, well, who plays that? And they're like, Jason Alexander. I was like, oh, I know Jason. So they're like, 
come on in. I'm like, listen, I'm on this other show, the Larry Sanders show. He's like, well, listen, if you can, come in. I was like, oh, okay. I'm an actor, and we just can't even turn down. We're pathetic. No, I we, remember. We you're, can't on, even t- you're on cable. That's different. Yeah, well, you're on cable. You, this is network. This is At the ne- time, that meant something. It meant something, but also <laughs> just a job is a job, you know? We're just like mm-hmm. hungry, scrappy freaks. And so I went in, and I auditioned, and I did my best Jason Alexander impersonation. And I remember in the room, they were just like, oh, my God, you must be such a huge fan of the show. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, my God, I, I've never seen the show. And I did the show. <laughs> He's never seen I, it. I did the show without having seen the show. Wow. But I knew you guys were rock stars, and Jerry was incredibly sweet and humble. And, I mean, I probably was in, you know, one of the most un-American people ever to step on that set. Because you know, you I know it sounds disrespectful, it. and I apologize for not seeing the Look, show. Look, I'll tell you, it's a, a wonderful confession. <laughs> <laughs> Golden. I was writing, uh, I came on in the seventh season, and when I was asked to come submit stories, I had not really seen the show either. There we go. <laughs> and it was Work. because I was working on Letterman till around 10 o'clock every night. And the way I prepared for that writer's submission was I read Jerry's books of stand-up, and just to get his rhythms of what he talked about oh, and what amazing. he liked. And does he know that? This no. Is the ultimate, he, he doesn't no, know No, he does not know that. Oh, my God. Don't After tell all him. He's not going to listen to this. He will yeah, I had never seen the show. And to this day, I still haven't seen most of the series. Oh, my God. I've, I've seen 7, 8, and 9, and maybe the contest and, and a couple others. I haven't really even seen your episode. <laughs> I've seen snippets of it. Yeah. All right. Well, I've, wait. Let's talk cars because we have to go. Yes. Jeremy Piven is looking for an early 9-11 Targa he loves colors like signal oranges and yellows and conda greens, but I don't think he's going to buy that. I think you're more, this would be your first 911? Yeah. You're probably silvers and uh, maybe black or metallic No, you know what? Or... I would I would pull the trigger on green. I just, there's something about that green. I remember you were Jerry I had sent, that the I other day. You, I sent you a yes. picture of one that was on the Fox I, lot. I would get that tomorrow. You can check that out on my Instagram feed. It had a license plate on the back that was Kermit. I think it was a Viper green car uh it's a very bright green but you would you would get into something like that oh my god absolutely. all right well if you're listening and you have that car get in touch with me and i'll send it to mr piven and absolutely. perhaps he'll buy it and it's it's a perfect car for you what else do you drive do you just drive the bronco right now do you have you know i i, I drive the bronco and um and I've, I've tried various cars and ultimately you know when i start my job next month i'm gonna have to get there on time right so what is your shoot schedule just seven days a week and no, <laughs> no, we do. We'll, we'll do. Why do you laugh? Is, I thought that's the way. No, that's funny. Uh, Mark, you, you, Harm, Mark Harmon lives in my neighborhood, okay. right? And I see him twice a year, right before the season starts, walking his dog, and then when the season ends. <laughs> and I said, what do you do between these times? He goes, I'm shooting. I'm always shooting. Always see, shooting. that scares me. That scares me? But Mark Harmon is very, very wealthy. You're right. going to make so much money on this show. Zuckerman. Money, Zuckerman. Money the, to squander. The end of, money to squander money to on squander. cars. You know what, man? <laughs> I, 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 I got to tell you, you know. Um, it means nothing to you. Well, it, you know, who doesn't, who doesn't want to have a little bit of freedom? You're like me. I like just getting paid to be in this business. That's it. It yeah, doesn't matter how much. I just enjoy that I'm not out uh, re-roofing houses or laying exactly. asphalt or doing the real work I used to do back in Massachusetts yeah, we're just very, before this. We're very lucky. Here's, what, right. here's what's funny. is like You mentioned auditioning. I basically auditioned with this my new show, Wisdom of the Crowd, in the way that 
I was talking to Kevin Spacey recently, and he said that the reason why he did House of Cards on Netflix is because they were the only people that came to him and said, you don't have to do a pilot. We'll, right. we'll give you two seasons on the air. And they were like, this is perfect. But with me, I figured I'm going to go do a pilot. Les Mubes and everyone at CBS will either like it or they won't. So there's something fun about that rite of passage mm-hmm. where it's like you've got to go to Vancouver, bust your ass and grind, and they're, and right. they're either going to take it or they don't. So well, I you're lucky the, here that you're shooting here in, in L.A. You're shooting Studio I, City. I did have a say in that. I basically said, if we're going to do it, we got to do it in L.A. Yeah. So once they said that, I was like, oh, my God, I, how could you possibly turn that down? But listen. You know, he's a powerful that, man, Zuckerman, that he can do that. You know how hard no. that is to bring a production to you? Powerful. You gotta, Very you hard. You got to have pull. You got to have juice. Gravity. <laughs> That's why he's so humble. He's powerful. Mm-hmm. If you're truly powerful, you don't have to take your sword out, do you, Zuckerman? You, you just walk in the room. Self-deprecation. No, he has. <laughs> That's right. I like, I like this podcast. This is That's good for my ego. That's the way it works. Yeah. I'm well, going to come here. We, I'm get, listen, I, I don't live too far from here. <laughs> I'll just be. I'll be your your Ed McMahon. I'll just like giggle. You in the know, background. I'm going to be bringing you a car soon. I'm sorry I couldn't get one here today, but thank no, you I for coming that. on. The thank new you, show sir. is Wisdom of the Crowd. It's on CBS, the big time, coming Sundays this fall, eight seven. Central. Jeremy Pippen. Thank you guys for having me. All right, my friend. Porchcast. We'll see you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to Spike's Car Radio. Download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app or subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com.